And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% And on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. Well, how you doing, everyone? Welcome to the Wing In Podcast, where my man Josh Thompson is sitting there trying to show you his jawline and his and still, because we are and still numero uno, the Wing In Podcast, and we have got a special treat for you today. All right, but before we get to the Chael P. Son of the interview, I want you guys to go to OnlyFans.com slash Wayne In. OnlyFans.com slash Wayne In. Subscribe to us over there. It is free, you guys. It is free. Subscribe to us over there at OnlyFans.com slash Wayne In. We have the one and only American Gangster. That's right, the West Lynn bad guy. Chael P. Son is here on the show to talk with us today. Yes, yes, yes. We have got the man, the myth, the legend, the man who can talk beyond oh, the abilities of the mortal man. We have the West Lynn gangster, the American gangster, Chael P. Sonnen. What's up, Mr. Bad Guy? You guys have put me in such a great spirit already. Thank I you. Thank you for the greetings. I miss talking to you guys. I am so excited about this. By the way, I got some questions for you. I mean, should I, should, oh, I, should I just start right into it? Yeah, just what jump right doing? into it. PFL, Bellator, rumors everywhere. Do you got inside rumors scoop? Yeah. <laughs> I love Chael. you. I love you for actually thinking that because I was going to ask you. Hey, what have you heard? Yeah. Let, let me let me just tell you this, okay? I am not um, media, so I don't have 13 trophies behind me. I can't really bring Ooh. stories, you know, like some people. So I got to be honest. I also enjoy my job. And so I tend to keep those kind of things to myself. Sure. So I want to make sure that that I can, if it, you know, if it doesn't happen, that I still have a job. So even if I did know, Chael, you and I are boys, I probably wouldn't say anything. I'm going to tell you right now, Chael, he doesn't know a goddamn oh. thing, right? Look at right now, we know exactly what has been put out in the media. We haven't been talked to by really anyone sure. or anything like that. So we don't know. I, I had a, you know, What's going to happen is going to happen. Oh, for sure. For, and I had a very meaningful tip the other day from a very reliable source. And it wasn't, it wasn't really anything that you guys haven't already heard other than he was very specific that the ink is dried, that the yeah. is done and the announcement is coming Wednesday. So, okay. yeah, I, I mean, that probably isn't anything more than we've all heard or at least yeah. close to it seems to keep on changing. I guess, moreover, the reason I ask, I will be very curious what then happens. At one point, along with these rumors, was that Bellator would still run for one year as Bellator. Then there'd be some cherry picking of the fighters and the contracts, and and they would all be pulled over to one uh, to, to the PFL. But... I don't know how much I believe that. Like Bellator is such a uh, large name, you know. Just for example, mm -hmm. I'm mean, selling out arenas in, in multiple countries on a regular basis. I don't know if, I don't know if that would be the best approach to to shut down that yeah. brand. It's just food for thought. Like we'll all learn something, but this happens so rarely in business. There's really nobody that you can turn to and ask and go, "Hey, when you did this, like, there's not a lot of this has ever been done." So I'm very fascinated and curious. Well, uh, you, yeah, and you can you can go back and look at like you know the UFC has bought multiple promotions. If you go down the list, WFA, Pride, Strike Force, you know WEC, all these, 
and they always did them a little bit different, but they always did them to the pride was different in the fact that they thought they're going to get contracts out of it. They didn't really get a lot of contracts out of it. And, uh, the strike force deal is the one that I, I would look at and say, eh, it might be strike force had certain contractual obligations that when you buy it, those contractual obligations are still there. Bellator would be in that same position, you know, but I, I just look at it and think, I think, you know, the PFL has what they've brought themselves up on is that, you know, million dollar tournament format that they go by. And that's great, but I think it's great for your up and coming fighters. I think the guys that have established themselves, the guys that win those, they get to move on to that that new pay-per-view platform that the PFL is trying to put out. And I think that's where you cherry pick fighters and you you can, you know, put some great matchups in there, but I don't I don't know what they're going to do and Josh is going to sit here and give you a load of shit, but he doesn't know either. No, no like look, <laughs> look Chael, in, in an ideal world, right? You and I are probably on the same page. In an ideal world, I said this on Rogan's show back in 2020, in February of 2020 when I was on the show. I said, look, in a world I would love to have an Olympics yeah. every other year, every two years, you take the best fighters. Because the, the – the, the, And it doesn't have to be champions. Yeah, and the champions. It doesn't have to be champions, but you want to put number, yeah. number two versus number five. You know, like guys like that, you want to see those fights. And I said those fights, I think, after the first one or maybe even the first one will do really well, but then, you know, uh, the other ones may be a, a little lackluster, but then they'll pick back up. If you had like an Olympics every two years or like a World Cup, where you took the best fighters from every organization, you had them fight. It didn't have to be champions, but maybe you headlined it with one champion versus another champion. And like it, Rogan was saying, like, I don't think it would do well. And I'm, I, I was pushing back a little bit on it because I believe it would. <clears throat> I think it would do very well because there's fights like we've constantly said, Stephen Thompson versus MVP. I would love to see that fight. There's just fights out there that that it could be made that you just you would we still might love. You know, there's fights I would love to see made that I know this would be really action packed. But in terms of the fact that if PFL does buy them, buy Bellator, I think it will happen before the end of the year. There's really, to be honest, there's no rush before the end of the year because Showtime's already come out publicly and said that they're wrapping up their Showtime boxing and I believe Bellator by the end of the year, all their combat sports. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't push it to another one of their entities in terms of like if it's CBS Sports or whatever, if it doesn't go through, they may still do that. But they're getting it off of Showtime is what they publicly have already said. So if I'm the PFL, there's really no rush to probably get it done. They, I've heard this last week. I heard this week. I heard You hear weekly that it's getting done this week. But at the end of the day, there's really probably no rush until the end of the year. You know, before, you know, around you know, December, it probably gets inked in there, somewhere in there. That being said, what you're talked about is I would love to see Showtime. I would love to see um, Bellator and PFL run side by side. And you take, like John was saying, <clears throat> their fight in tournament would be almost like a Dana White contender series, what they do now. You have your low-level fighters coming in, and then you have your, I don't want to use Bellator as an example, because it's by P, if it was yeah, yeah. PFL, but you have your real shows, your real fights, people that want to see the best fighters in your organization fighting each other. You have that, and then you do your, I still really do enjoy the one weight class a year tournament. I love that. I love that format because there's new stars that come in, periodically that you're like, man, I'd love to see this guy come in and look at Usman Nurmagomedov. Fantastic. But he wasn't here until about a year and a half ago. He literally just came onto the scene and now he's already the, he's already the champ and now he's defending his title, all these things. So there's a lot of fight. I'd love to see him and AJ McKee. There's fights out there. Shabley's really catching people off guard, you know, on how good he is. I mean, like there's such good lightweights 
in Bellator that, that you should you can run a tournament every year in one weight class. Not all of them because people just don't keep up with it. We are we do two we tournaments are all year. too busy. Two tournaments. It's too much, two John. It's too much. Two tournaments it's a year. Just, it's just too much. We are so busy, Chael. Look at, you were talking about it on air the other day. I didn't even know the fight was at 2 o'clock. You know what I mean? Like, it's true. Like, we're just so caught up in our everyday lives. Like, the fights are an afterthought. And they're like, oh, wait, the fights are on tonight. Shit, let's watch. Unless it's somebody that we are really, really captivated by. You know, we know this. these two top-level com- uh, com- uh, competitors or fighters are going to be in the cage to, at the same time together. Those are things that motivate us to tune in and buy the pay-per-views. I don't see that the, the all the weight classes tournament system really succeeding outside of it being a fight in a fight in to get into the into the bigger show, but financially it doesn't make any sense to run two organizations. It just doesn't. Everywhere you look at it, it just doesn't make any sense. Now, if they can have it where Bellator can stand on its own, the, which it's the been doing WEC. lately. What's that? My man Chael was champion in that organization, the WEC. I don't care what yeah, anyone yeah. says. <laughs> You were definitely yes. the light heavyweight champion of that organization. And the UFC and the WEC ran simultaneously for how Different long? weight classes, John. They didn't have the... I, I, no. I totally understand what you're yeah. saying. I understand, but it, but it can be done. Yeah, it, and I'll tell you guys this. I think, I think why I asked the question... My curiosity, I believe, is a little different... It, I have to know everything. I have to know everybody's business. Like I can't control that side of me. I have to more specifically, why are you doing it? Let me just give an example. When when Pride got purchased, the UFC came out with the story that we did it to get these fighters' contracts, but that was not true at all. That was just a story. They bought Pride and saw a seventy million dollar value in taking them off of pay-per-view. And true. I, I only bring that to you because I would be so curious. The rumor that we heard and again, I'm going back uh, to, to, to my most recent source. We'll see if it turns out. It only turns out to be true if they do make an announcement on Wednesday. That was a, a paramount uh, a point that he was making. But I'll share this with you. The 300 million rumor that we heard, according to this source, is now, it's closer to 500 million. And I would just share that I, I'm so curious what the value is. I, I'm so curious what they're doing. And I even asked him that. And he goes, well, to get all the contracts. It's like... I don't think that that's true. I, I just don't think that there's matches. And Scott Coker is, is more than willing to do uh, what's called a loan out. You, you pay him 100000 and then you can borrow his fire. He did that with yep. MVP to bare knuckle, just for an example. Um, you, you, you could have as many as you wanted, and you would never reach the, the $500 million mark. You could pay that $100,000 loan out fee. I'm only suggesting that that's not it, and I'm curious what it is. I, I'm so curious what, from a, a business standpoint, justifies... The price and all the effort that you're going, particularly to a competitor who just lost its North American distribution deal. I, I totally agree yeah. with you when you when you take a look at a lot of it, but you can also take a look and say, not everything is done with cash. Okay, now there's a value to everything, but not everything is. Oh, it's how much money did you put out, or how much are you? Okay, I'm giving you stock options or things like that, so someone has. The ability to maybe, if this works, it grows with it, and they get even more money. Who knows? Sure. Yeah, yeah I, it's, th- I think a lot of things point. are being I'm negotiated. Just, uh, I, would, I would love to know. Everything I think has kind yeah. of already been negotiated. So would we. Heard. But yeah, we'll figure it all out. Um, you know, Chael, there's a lot going on. <laughs> you, you know? No, we, we have, I have one yeah. question. What does it feel like to be the lightning rod? Oh. What does it feel like? <laughs> <laughs> 
boy, I, I, I don't know. I will tell you, are we talking about the aerial interview? Because I will tell you, I was very caught off guard by that. I, I did not enjoy that. And even there was well, a part where I finally said, I have to go. Yeah. But the I have to go wasn't just to hang up and, and in an interview. My throat hurt. I was losing my ability to speak. I'm, I'm still feeling it. Where I'm having to kind of scream at you guys a little tense. bit. Here, but I was getting, what do you call it? You get hoarse or you, laryngitis. I yeah, was starting you're to tense. feel this. Like, kind of a little bit I angry. I can't speak anymore. I, I was tired. I was sweat. I was all these different things. And I kind of do feel like I was owed an apology, though. I, like, as I go back and look at that, <laughs> I think I was right. I felt as though I only made two points. And it was to look at the fight. From the two sides, one is the competitiveness, which greatly exceeded expectations. Yes. And my other point was the financial side, which met expectations, which rarely, in fact, the first time I've ever observed in this space, they set out to lose. They were very willing they were going to lose. They, were they knew they were losing This money. was an expense, and the, the payoff for them was just to be able to host the event. So I felt like I was right on both of those points, whether we ended up screaming at each other or not. Those were the only two points that I tried to make. I don't know where I would be wrong. Both of those I would I th- stand I, by today. I, I'm being honest. I'll, I'll ask you a question out of this, but I thought both of you were right. I thought you were right in the points that you were trying to make. You were absolutely right. It's a one-off, and it's not the normal uh, entity that is willing to lose the amount of money that they're losing in having that show. Ariel is trying to sit there and say, but if, as long as they're willing to lose it, they can do it over and over again. Well, no, there comes a point, I don't care how rich you are, you don't want to lose more money. But your whole point was right. But I got to ask you this, because it's the one thing when it first started that I looked at and I was like, why did you do that? He, he, he basically, in my opinion, kind of, you know, he couldn't you. He pit, well, he, pit, he, he confronted you. And he actually tried to make it like, you were wrong about something you said and I'm being honest I said the same thing that you said I went and said you know when I watched you know look I I know Francis I love Francis he's a great guy you know with everything that I've ever been around him to do but I thought that Tyson Fury would be an incredibly hard fight for him that he wouldn't be able to really touch Tyson Fury much it was a it's a different sport and I said you know I just don't see Tyson uh, Francis doing very well in this fight and afterwards I said I was wrong and I was, but he tried to, it was almost like, he, oh, because he tried to say that it was a good thing and you didn't, I'm going to make you, you know, eat some, eat some pigeon here or something. I don't know. It just, it seemed like, why are you being that way when you guys actually were guys that worked together on Ariel and the bad guy? Sure. Well, and I, and I felt that too, but I wish that that's where the conversation would have gone because there, there was something very incumbent to give Francis heaping amounts of praise not to mention yeah. uh, potential controversy. I mean, we had three judges. They didn't agree with each other. There was no two alike scores. And it's more fascinating for me, guys. How did this happen? Because this is the second time I've seen the greatest ever not uh, getting beat up by a guy that has never done it. I mean, whether the Floyd and Connor that w- went to Floyd, but Floyd got beaten up by a guy with no experience, and he was the greatest ever. And then you have Tyson Fury, who's the greatest. And that was such an interesting one. Like, the boxing apologists were so quick to try to turn to, for example, Fury's layoff. And that would be what this whole story was about, except Francis had a bigger layoff. 
or it would be with the size, except in this case, because that's what it was with Connor and Floyd. Well, Connor was so much bigger. In this case, Fury weighed in heavier. Or if you were to look at the age, in this case, Francis is the older. I mean, it was such an interesting True. thing. And John, I fully did see it. Maybe, maybe I'm not giving MMA guys enough credit. Maybe I don't give myself enough credit. But when I look at that and, and think, okay, I got to go into the boxer that's the best in the world at my weight class, and I've never boxed, that's a very intimidating circumstance but Francis went out there and handled it. he did it calmly he held up 30 minutes I mean he held up for that I was at Andre Ward's first professional fight it was here in Portland in 2005 he was coming off a gold medal in 2004 yep. so his whole life he had done three rounders but his first professional fight which was an undercard of Mayweather versus Sean Bay Mitchell it was scheduled for four rounds. It went all four rounds. But, I mean, this is what you do. Like, to make believe that you can go from never having done it, including amateur, to, to ten rounds, that is an impossible thing for me to believe, which is so impressive that Francis did it and so impressive that Connor went, went the same distance. Like, what What is the miss here? Is it awkwardness? Is it just about power? What no, is... No, I think the miss is this, is that, that those boxers are fighting with with fear. A fear of being the only boxer at a high-end level of losing to someone who has never fought boxing. That's their fear. And both of those fighters fought very timidly. They both were very cautious. They knew they were the better boxers. They just chose not to pull the trigger and leave themselves out there in fear of getting put down like Tyson Fury. Okay, I mean, Tyson was able to get back up. It just was, it's that, you're, it's so hard. You know, we've been in that cage where we walked in, we're like, man, we're, we're, there's times where I've been afraid going, man, I could lose this fight. Now, that's been a lot of times, but losing to someone who you know is not on your level. If I was to go out there and fight someone, if you're ranked number two or three, you're fighting for the title, all of a sudden now you're ranking, you're fighting a guy who's not ranked. It really does make you, and I'll give you a classic example. I just got done fighting Benson Henderson. Okay. Should have, if I beat him, I fight, I, fight, I wait for Pettis to fight for the UFC title because it was already offered to me. I fight that fight. I lose. My next fight's Bobby Green. Bobby Green's not ranked at the time where he was ranked like number 13 or 14. And they're like, look, let's just get you back on track. Let's get you this fight. Took the fight. Fought super conservative. Didn't let, didn't really fight hard. I didn't fight the best I could have. And it showed. I ended up losing a split decision in that fight. And, you know, and the rest is history. You just don't fight the way you're supposed to fight. And I'm not taking anything away from Francis. What he did was remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. I love the fact that, but, there's a flip side to what I just said about the, the pro boxers. The flip side is this. The guys that go in there like a Connor, they've already made out. I'm fighting a sport that I'm not supposed to win. There's no concerns. There's no cares. Okay. And if I do land him, and I said this for months when this there, fight. There's one concern. There's one concern. Everyone's concerned with being face down. This is up. true. This is true. Every, you, everyone's concerned. You are concerned. concerned about that. But like, yeah. if you go back, no one wants to you look go back bad. and watch Connor, you go back and watch uh, Francis, they didn't have a lot of output. I think a lot of, both of them were concerned about potentially getting tired in another man's sport. Sure. That's fear. That's what kind of scares you a little bit. But they fought, both of them fought very conservative. But when I'm looking at what Francis and what Connor did, both of them, they could just let it go. They could let it fly. It didn't, it didn't matter. I've already won. Everyone now, I'm not supposed to win this fight. It's very important to take that in consideration because there has no, there is no concern. Like you're just, look, this is fun, especially someone like Connor. And with, with Francis, there is, and I had said this months before, all he needed to do was wobble Tyson or put him down and it will change his life. 
change his life because he's got the power to do it. You know what I mean? And what I, the Connor thing was different because to me, Floyd was such a technician. The best guys in the world weren't able to hit him. Best guys in the world weren't able to hit him. That's a speed. That's an athleticism. That's just years and years of doing it. Years. Since the time he was a young boy. Tyson Fury is a bigger guy, a little bit bigger of a target, easier to hit. Those kind of things. He leaves himself open. He goes out there and makes mistakes. He has been dropped. Okay. Francis got the power to do it. So I said, look, if Francis can get this fight, if he can drop him, if he can rock him, if he can wobble him, that open automatically opens him up to what ifs. What if we gave him more time to train? What if we put him with someone like an Anthony Joshua who people say is a little suspect of a chin? Like now there's talk that we can make other fights for him. And that's where we're at right now. Hey, and speaking of that, guys, Michael Bisping announced that Francis is going to take that December 23rd date, which once upon a time belonged to Fury and Usyk. He didn't say who the opponent was going to be, and nobody really grabbed that and ran with it. Nobody nobody really confirmed that announcement, but is that true? Is Francis... I don't think so. I don't so. think so. I don't, I don't, I don't think either. So. I feel we, like we, we would have heard about we, it. We, we talked we talk with Francis's trainer, Eric Nixick. He was on, he's, Last uh, night. on our podcast. And he said he's taking some. He's taking a couple of months off. Okay. So I don't think. So. Hey, good, and good for him, right? To, to enjoy a honeymoon oh, after this. Yeah, he certainly deserves it. By the way, speaking of Coach Nixick, is this the hottest coach in MMA right now? I mean, he should be. Yeah. He should win yeah, the award right. at the World MMA oh, Awards yeah. for Coach of the Year, yeah, hands see, down. Correct. Okay, look at really. What's the World MMA Awards? Let's be honest. Okay. It's a popularity contest, and I've won it, but it's a popularity contest. It's really not the person many times that deserves based upon their performance or what they've done. Many times it's because the people voting don't know anybody, but that one yeah. name. And so they mark and check that box on that one name. But you're right. Eric Nixick absolutely is a guy that deserves to be coach of the year. No doubt yeah. about it. He's done a phenomenal I mean, I feel like job. that's the, the the correct answer. Like even if another coach got it, he'd kind of be looking around going, well, Hey, thank you to everybody. But he, he yeah. would know. I mean, yeah. is there anybody that can touch? And why is this guy so red hot? It's really incredible. You know, he, he had to come into his own under very tough circumstances, which is his mentor, Robert Fallis, God bless him, died. Yes. So, I mean. Well, yeah, his first, his first mentor, think about this, Sean Tompkins. That was when, when that gym opened up, Sean Tompkins was there. Robert Fullis wasn't there. And Eric came in. And I remember him working because I remember a couple of times I was in there and, and it was I was doing some sparring stuff. And I, I didn't know who he was. And we kind of hit it off. And he was really a nice guy. And he was... He was all into knowledge. He wanted to know things. And then Sean Tompkins died. And then in comes Robert Foles. And Eric really, you know, he grabbed on to Robert and sucked every bit of knowledge he could from Robert and things. But the thing that, that Eric did is, you know, Randy's always been his mentor also. And it's the mental side. Because I, I tell people all this time, and, you know, you, you have famously have said there was one guy you couldn't beat. And it was Randy Couture. You know, and I, I always laughed at that because, you know, you've worked out with him. I've worked out with him. And it was one of the amazing things with Randy, and I don't know if you want to go off it, but he was not the strongest guy. He wasn't that strong. He was not fast. He wasn't anything that you – he didn't hit that hard. But, goddamn, he was smart, and he never stopped. And he had lungs for days. It's like, how do you have a lung? We both had asthma. And I was like, how is it that I get asthma and you don't? <laughs> but he just was – super intelligent in breaking things down and knowing what he had to do and even psychologically breaking someone down during the contest. 
And that's what Eric took. And that's what he uses. And he uses that psychology all the time with his guys, both in practice, in the fights. And it's made him special because they believe in him. Sure. And, and what incredible uh, irony, if you will. But you take Randy Couture and... One thing about Randy, I mean, he had a gold belt that said he was the, the best in the world, but he did not have a black belt in anything. He didn't even have a brown <laughs> no. belt in anything. It was really fascinating of what a competitor he was and how much he, one, enjoyed the, the battle, yeah. but also that he believed in himself. I mean, he believed he could go out and find a submission over a black belt in jiu-jitsu, just for example. And it really was incredible. And then you look at Francis. You go, well, I don't know of any belt that Francis has for that matter. I don't know of any boxing background Francis had other than he aspired and wanted to do it. It really is an incredible thing. When Randy started the gym performance quest, it got shortened to quest later, but performance quest, he had a little bit of a different philosophy that didn't overly catch on. But as you look back, it does start to look like Randy was right, which is this whole thing is based on performance, not about what techniques you know, not about what, what you've mastered in Texas. Can you beat that guy's, your skills beat that guy's skills, yes or no? It's just about the performance. And it, it kind of is fascinating that one Randy did so well, and now you've got Francis, uh, disciple of Randy, doing so well. Without those specific backgrounds, it's it's kind of fascinating. Yeah, it is. Yeah, these guys, I mean, I was just, but Randy, when he first came into the sport, was talking about like the itch wasn't done. He did, was, he wanted to keep wrestling. He wanted to keep fighting. The sport came right at the right time. I got to be honest, it, it pretty much saved my life because, you know, at the time, you don't really know what you want to do. Chael, like we, you don't, you know that we were competitive in sports coming in through high school, college. You wrestled at University of Oregon. Being competitive all those years, you get out and go, do I really want to go work in a cubicle? Do I want to just be in this office all day? No, you wanted to do something else. And you got, you got to scratch the itch while it's still there because you know, when we get to this age now, we don't have the desire. Look, we're all in cubicles. Yeah, I don't, all three of us right now. I don't now. get up though. I don't get up and go, man, I can't wait to go run miles now. I, I just, I don't have that itch anymore. And so it's remarkable to see that Randy did it for so long. Yourself did it for so long. Myself. I mean, you and I were fighting on some of the same cards up in Portland under uh, Steve Boyd. Remember that guy? Steve? And I so, do. I don't know where Steve's at, though, by the way. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to know. I hope yeah, he's yeah. still with us. Um, I don't ever hear from Steve or what he's up to. I've been curious many times. I've not, I haven't heard from him in years and years. Okay, but look, let's go back. Do you still, because I heard Ariel ask you to, do you still believe that Francis fumbled the bag? That's a tough one. Fumble the bag. Because I've never fully known what that meant. Like, did he make the wrong decision is how I always interpreted that. Well, let, 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 me, let me lay this out real quick. Money Yeah, wise. let me lay this Go out ahead. to you real quick. $8 million is what John they offered him to fight John Jones plus pay-per-view points. How many numbers, let's just, what do you think the numbers were if the two of them fought in pay-per-view points? 650? so different now it's it's so different than it was 10 years ago but yes okay. I, I believe the biggest fight the sport can make and i know that's probably not debated now but i think even then it w was jones versus francis Give i think some pay-per-view numbers fight. what do you think 550 650 1.5 no 1.5 no way maybe 1 .5. I, I know i know it was projected for francis it was a projected all-in pay of 13 million now who gave that prediction and how accurate it would be yeah. I, I suppose we'll never know but that was supposedly what he would make for John Jones. Okay, so let's say he made thirteen million. He got offered ten million for the for the Fury fight plus pay per view points. Well, let's go ahead and go to a real reporter who actually reported the real pay per view numbers, which were eleven thousand five hundred on TV pay per views in the U.S., fifty six thousand on ESPN streaming. Those are your numbers. Yeah, 
You didn't make that. Normally, when pay-per-view points come into effect, what happens? You have to beat you have to beat a, a benchmark. It has to beat a hundred thousand or one hundred fifty. However, your contract is negotiated, you have to hit a certain amount before I start even paying you out on your pay per view points. It's not like oh, when one person buys, I get a dollar of it or I get two dollars. No, and it actually goes tier system. So if it goes, if I get a hundred thousand, I get like fifty cents or I get whatever it is on the hundred thousand if it hits that. And then it goes on to two fifty. Then I get another probably dollar fifty or a dollar on top of that. So now I'm making one fifty. When it gets up to like five and six hundred, you're making close to three dollars. You know, pretty much for pay per view points. But this didn't even do a hundred thousand. Yeah. It didn't even do a hundred thousand. So now maybe in the rematch they will. But some of the stuff that was talked about on the aerial show with you and the back and forth was: Did you fumble the bag? As of right now, just number wise, until we see the rematch. Between Fury and, and, and Nganu, or Joshua and Nganu, right now, yes, it looks like he fumbled the bag. And I, I love the fact that he took a chance on himself. I've done the same shit, I've, and it didn't work out for me, but I've done the same shit. He did it, and it's remarkable what he did. No one's going to knock that. But what other, here's the other thing is, what other fights does he have to make right now in the PFL for him? According to the PFL, none. I mean, Don Davis came on yep. and it was just very direct and said the, the only thing interesting for Francis in MMA is John Jones, which is a match that we can't do. And I appreciated that. I, I will tell you this, Josh, um, and I don't know if it quite answers your question, but I would be really curious, right? I mean, it's, it's a lot like earlier when we were talking about the UFC buys pride and says it's to get contracts, but that's just what they're saying. It's to take it off of pay-per-view. I would really be fascinated to know why Francis did that. I know that he's saying this was my childhood dream and I believe that I could beat him and I'm, I'm going to see it through. There could be a piece of the pie that's true to that, but it's also true that Francis and John Jones, as much as they're both pretending they want to fight each other, had the opportunity to fight each other and John's hands aren't cleaning this either. I mean, John's now coming out. He's calling Francis all sorts of names. He's called him the P word multiple times. Oh, yeah. Behind all those big muscles is nothing but a big... He didn't say a word when they were both under contract. He didn't say anything uh, about Francis. He sat and he laid perfectly low, but Francis was the same way. He did not address John. He didn't build some kind of hype to that. And so I'm, I'm just saying... There is a question of most fighters would like to be an underdog. If you are a massive underdog, you can actually win in defeat. That doesn't happen the other way. I mean, Fury went out and won this fight, and he's getting no credit. The underdog who over-competed uh, compared to expectations. Overachieved. But meanwhile, it wouldn't be that same relief of pressure versus John Jones. John Jones, at the time they wanted to make that fight, had never fought above 205 pounds. He is meaningfully smaller and the perception would have been that Francis could have dealt with them. And I, I'm just sharing, like, you know, was there something about that within this decision? Was it not a matter I'm taking on a bigger challenge? Was it in his mind, this is a lesser threat perception-wise to my reputation? I wouldn't know, but I think it's interesting. I, I tell you this, I don't think he fumbled the bag. Now, if you want to say, did he end up with less money and that's what your version of fumbling the bag is? Okay, maybe he did. But fumbling the bag means that you made a mistake, and we don't know. Yeah. Just like what you're talking about, The verdict's Joe. not out yet. Exactly. Well, and we don't know exactly what was important to Francis because the John Jones fight wasn't there. John was not a heavyweight at that point. And let's be honest, when you're talking about John, you know, we all know how good he is, but the type of fighter that's always given him problems is someone that's his size, someone that he can't big brother by putting his you know big reach out there 
And if there's the other thing that's giving us the problems, guys that can hit hard, he kind of ends up on his back foot a lot more. It's a little bit of a different fight for him. So when you take a look at, say, fumbling the bag, I don't think he fumbled the bag. I think he got what was important to him. And that was the freedom to do what he wanted because he wanted, he asked the UFC, let's do this together. Let me go do a boxing thing. You can be part of the promotion. He wanted them to be part of it. It wasn't like he's saying, oh, I don't want you to make money. I want you to be part of it. They told him no. And sometimes that freedom is worth every penny that you lost. I think where you run, though, is the problem is that some of these fighters are like, look, I want to go do the boxing match or I want to go do this outside and I want to bring you guys along with me. And they say no, but they're like, why'd you do it for Connor? And I get why they did it for Connor. They understood at the time it was a huge deal. They, they also they also made a big bag a of big money, bag off, of money of that off that. But a lot of it had to do with the actual co-promotion between Showtime and them. They were able to elevate it to another level, doing their tour all around. The yeah, UFC helped bring that up too with the Connor situation. This fight no would have done a lot better, I think, had the UFC been involved with Francis. Oh, no doubt. The UFC is a marketing machine mm-hmm. that would have made a huge difference if they were helping to market it people would have ended up being a lot more, i think more more people were excited about this fight after it happened than i think before it happened and that's based upon the performance of francis and you know and you you're going back and you're talking about well connor did good look let's just be honest and i i've, I've watched that connor fight too many times i've watched it with the judges that actually judged the boxing match at the time because you know i didn't agree with them and you know, Connor came out, he did well, he won rounds, but Floyd was controlling him and doing whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. Floyd was never in trouble in that fight. Tyson was in trouble. Mm-hmm. Tyson got hurt. And we all know, you know, when you get hit by someone, you go, holy shit, that fucking hurt. It alters your opinion on what you want to do next. It's just part of it. And sometimes, even though you've been in there against guys that are good punchers, Deontay Wilder is a big puncher. You get hit by someone, you go, oh, and, and you can take a look at some of the punches that Francis was landing, and especially, you know, you would do, he'd do a high jab and a, and a straight right to the body. It was having an effect on Tyson. He was having a problem with a guy that had, had good range, good length, and had power. Yeah. Just what it is. Yeah, what? It's, it's all true. It's really fascinating. And, and John, I do give uh, Tyson a lot of credit, too. I know the story coming out of this. I, I've really never seen anything like this where a fight is more talked about and more celebrated, more discussed after it happened than it was before. I've never really seen this, but yeah. I do notice one thing. I notice the headlines are about Francis. They're not about Tyson. And all the accolades are going to Francis. And Francis' next fight is so incredibly sought after. Tyson's is so much less that they've actually taken it off the board and they've moved it. And I do give Tyson a lot of credit. I mean, there's a lot that he took on there, not to mention, I mean, not only just the, the, the outside forces that are saying, Oh, this is going to be easy for you, which is never a great thing to hear from everybody. And, you know, all the way down to his, his father teasing Francis and, and saying, you know, how, how much he doesn't belong. But then Tyson having to get up off the campus, uh, you know, with, with seven rounds more, seven rounds to go yeah. deal with it, know what's in front of you, know what the potential is, and still have to find a way to get your hand raised. Tyson did a lot of really positive things in that match that he does have the right to be proud of. Yeah, what's your absolutely? What's your take on how involved Saudi Arabia and and all these countries, uh, Middle Eastern countries, are coming in right now and really putting money into sports? 
I mean, they did it with Liv, they did it with the Live Golf. They're doing it now with uh, soccer. Now they're making they're doing their, with PFL they're doing with PFL. They're doing it right now. Um, we across the they're trying to buy up all the actual live sport action. What's your take on that? I don't know that I really have one. I know that got greatly politicized, particularly with the golf stuff. Um, and, and the, you know, it, it all goes back to that reporter who gets killed, and they've got to rehab their their image, and they're choosing to do it through sport. And anybody that plays along with them uh, doesn't care about the reporter. I, I don't know all of that stuff. There could probably be a reasonable argument there, but I've just never looked at it in those regards and, or, or to hold them in the same category. If Saudi Arabia is, is really passionate about having big sports on their soil for whatever reason, and they're willing to lose a fortune to do it, I, I, I don't know that I have an overly big thought. It's not sustainable, and I know people go, oh, they, it's endless money. That's that's not true, right? If you've got a balloon and the air is only going one way, it might not happen in your lifetime or even in your grandkids' life, but it will happen. That it will go to zero. There's uh, so I do think that needs to be looked at. I, I don't know what this celebratory factor in in running a business that is not sustainable. I, I not I'm not really sure who's getting behind that unless they're directly receiving some of those funds. But I don't have a big opinion, Josh. If if they're getting behind it, and they want to do these things by well I, I, yeah the reason why i asked because like there was some of the like, ariel talking with you on it goes look around around like the 17 minute mark you guys are talking and he says they don't care they've got endless money they're going to keep putting these shows on and i'm i'm with you is that fighter or not fighters but businessmen and they, they're they didn't become rich just by haps okay like they're smart they do good business deals they understand how to make money off of whatever they do spend millions and billions on they understand there's a there's a market there to be made so they're, they're not just throwing endless money at things maybe they they've come up short but i look at them in terms of this they understand that live sports right now after covid are a huge thing because we were basically being held up by it for during the times everyone was locked down you know they were just turning to sports the best they could whatever was available and on tv fighting was one of those and i think them jumping into the fight market is a big deal but there's also got to be a return some sort of return on investment and i think with francis and because i had heard some of the comments with with Ariel, he says look his next fight's going to be 20 30 40 million you don't know but let me the don davis came out too and he goes look there's no one really for him to fight in pfl and the acquisition of Bellator would make sense because now you've got Ryan Bader, you've got Linton Vassell, you've got Moldovsky, you've got guys now in the heavyweight division that he could actually fight. They have, you know, have a de have decent names or have good names and have decent records or good records. You get into that, but if there's no one for you to fight, and I'm and I'm people that have the Saudi checkbook, why am I going to pay you 20, 30, 40 million when I know that? The UFC, who has tons of money as well, is only willing to offer you eight. Business dealings aside, there's nowhere for you to go. I can pay you what I want to pay you, and you take it or leave it. I don't see I don't see a, a $30, $40 million payday in, in the future. Am I wrong? No, 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 you're definitely right. I mean, there could be an ability where, you know, they just want that rematch with Fury so bad and both of those guys could hold out. I mean, Fury was claiming, I don't know if it's accurate, that he got $50 million for that fight. In other interviews, he said it was $40 million. But 
just say that that's true or in the ballpark. I don't know that Fury's going to want to risk it, and even if he does want to risk it, he's smart enough to faint that he doesn't want to risk it. And all of a sudden, those numbers do go up, and how bad do they want it? I mean, that, that really is anybody's guess, but to the other side of it, to, to make believe that you can predict based on indicators or, or based on uh, industry standards and norms, you, you can't. It's a, it's a very different thing. I've never seen anybody go out and, and, and come at this level knowing it's a loss, knowing this isn't sustainable, but I've got such an account. I, it's, it's a very uh, different situation. And um, when they take the victory lap for it, I don't know that they deserve the praise. If you went out and something and it cost you a hundred million to get it, it's in a, in a, in a business sense, hold on in a business sense, I'll say you're right. They don't deserve the praise, Yeah, but in a sporting sense, maybe they do. Well, and that's an interesting thing, too, uh, John. I mean, how much of it was a, a sporting event? I mean, just by example, the WBC title was not on the line, but the WBC president sat in the very front row. Was there. The WBC president stated Francis Ngannou will now be a top 10 ranked fighter. It's like, well, who are you going to have him replace? At the end of the day, he's 0-1. and one. He's 0-1. At, at the end of the yeah. day, he's never won a boxing match. Who, who's that? I mean, I go look at your top 10. They've had a hundred matches apiece. I'm including amateur records, of course, but they've won over 95% of their amateur and pro matches. How do you take a guy that's 0 and 1? You're going to have to pull one of those names off the top 10 to put this one in the top 10. I, I'm just sharing for you. I, it does seem to lose, uh, credibility. I, I don't know if a time yeah. a boxing champion has boxed, but the belt wasn't up, but the WBO president sat in the front. It's it's very, very weird. There was a little bit of the bickering back and forth over the three fight contracts and whether they existed or not in boxing and Saudi Arabian money will cover it and all this <laughs> other stuff. I mean, can you, can you kind of explain to me what you're getting to? Because, I mean, I you know and I know both. I know what he was getting that to. Our fights are three fight contracts. Boxers and promoters, whether it's Eddie Hearn or whoever else is promoting these fights, they're, they, they're not going to invest in you fighting. Like, if he was to fight Anthony Joshua, I need to be... I need. He's going to have a return investment on exactly. that. Exactly. There to. needs to be something else. If you do beat my best guy, the one that brings me in my big cash cow, if you're going to beat him, I need to have you locked down. I can't just have you run off to the PFL. There needs to be some sort of conversation. And no, no promoter, not a smart one, would allow this to happen, you know, and the, the deal like oh, it was a one-off with the Saudi Arabia money. Do you? Some of the naysayers were saying that well, Tyson was just using this fight, and I was one of them saying I kind of feel like because he signed the Usyk fight too soon, he was using this fight to get warmed up for Usyk, and we didn't see the best but of Tyson that, Fury. But it is normal in boxing for a boxer to have another fight after mm -hmm. already set up. It is normal in the world of boxing. It's not normal in the world of MMA because the the promoters are different. It's just a different system. Sure. Yeah. Well, and the point that I was trying to make uh, uh, when I brought that up, I, I so many people will say, this fight is so big. Give him whatever he wants. Give, you got to get this done. You can't lose it. Dana screwed up here. He should He should have got him. Just look at this. And it's like, well, hold on. They're always multi-fight contracts. They aren't done on a one-off. So you've got, you've got to figure out what you can give a guy for this one big fight that you've got. You don't know for sure how that's going to go. So you got to have them under contract to rematch it if, if that's what you would like to do or 
to parlay that success into something else if that's what you like to do. But then when you lay that contract out, there's great thought that goes into it, which is, well, what if he loses? Like, there's one fight that I want for him, and it's this one. So if I give him two beautiful number, whatever comes next that isn't this one is not worth as much. But the athlete isn't going to sign the deal unless that next fight is accelerated from previous fights. So there's just a lot of math that the promoter has to do. And that's the part that I was trying to explain. That is where things get very different. And a promoter might be willing, if he's got absolute confidence here, to go in and do a one-off, but not a promoter with distribution, not a promoter like, say, Eddie Hearn or or Bob Arum, just to use some of the bigger names in the sport, they're going to have you secured, whether it's a rematch clause that's already built in or what you're going to do next. So it just becomes tough. If you're trying to copy what somebody else did, It's I'm just suggesting be very reserved in this. This is very outside of the culture and very outside of our industry standards, what happened with Francis and Tyson. Well, you have three people that he could potentially fight next. You got Anthony Joshua, you got Deontay Wilder, and you've got the rematch with Tyson Fury looming there. But seeing the pay-per-view numbers, obviously the second one's going to do a lot better now that you've seen him get dropped, take illegal elbows from Tyson Fury, keep going like it was no big deal. Like, if if you're sitting on the outside looking in, who would you want to see him fight? And which one do you think is stylistically best made for him? Yeah, well, it is It is definitely those three. Like, the rematch with Fury would be of great interest to me for sure. I think, realistically, Wilder is probably uh, the one that could actually get locked up just because he's in that same free agent status. And that, again, but that would specifically be in Saudi Arabia. Wilder thinking that I'm, I'm a free agent, that's not how promoters look at it. Promoters look at it as nobody can trust you. If, if you've left all my fellow... Uh, promoters, I, I don't know how badly I want to, to come in and bring you in. I need to know that I have a team player. So now you got two non-team players that have found themselves. I think that that's very likely that they could do. I personally, and I think this is what you asked me, what I would like to see. I would like to see the Joshua fight. Um, I, and I think mainly because I'm, I'm fairly confident in Francis. The, the Francis that Fury dealt with, if that Francis shows up, I think that he does beat Joshua, and that would just be such a surprise to everything that I believe to be real. It would it would just make me question, how did I have this so wrong? How did I believe in the sweet science and the footwork and the combinations? Like, how did I believe you had to be a second-generation kid that started by nine years old to have any chance at this level? It would make me question so many things that I was uh, so sure about. That's the one that I would like to see. Well, it's always easier to I, do something heavy. I can heavy tell you why Tom. you're sure about it. No, no, no. Look at here, and this is here's the fact. Josh has done it. I've done it. You've done it. You've sparred with professional boxers, and they're a pain in the ass. They move a certain way because everything that you're doing in training is for boxing. It's about your footwork and your hands. That's what you work on. That's everything that you're doing. While in MMA. You're doing those things, and you're working on your kicks, and you're working on your elbows, and you're working on your ground and pound, and you're working on your wrestling. And you're, there's so many things that you have to cover that you can't spend that same time on working on my footwork and my hands. And so when you go in and you spar a real boxer, you go, holy shit, they're hard for me to get to. Holy shit, they're fucking, they're always getting the angle on me. Holy shit, it becomes this nightmare that you just end up trying to survive as you're, as you're sparring. It's not, you're not trying to really get better you're surviving you know it just depends on how hard they're pushing yeah. and so when you look at it and you've been there and you've done it you go 
This is going to be a hard one for, for Francis to get into. He hasn't done boxing long enough. Tyson's grown up. You know, his whole life has been boxing. So it's understandable why you look at it that yeah, way. Yeah, and Francis did not throw up very many air balls. I mean, that was a surprise, too. I, I didn't question Francis's power. And people talk about he's got all this power. It's like, well, you want to know how much power he has? He has enough power. Like, there's a number of guys that if they hit you in the right spot, you're going to be going down when you're, when you're at that size. I just didn't think he could be able to touch him. I mean, I've been in that spot. So I. I same thing. Yeah, where you're throwing, and they're and it's, it's like it's nothing for them. They know when to pull. They yeah. know when to go this way. Highest level guy that I've ever had a chance to strike with was uh, Joe Schilling, and it was a disaster. Huh? Like the rhythm that he had <laughs> was such a lesson for me in that you know that I didn't even know that that existed. And and then yeah. back to trying to touch him, even when it was my turn to go, it just that wasn't going to happen. It was amazing. It was Francis's accuracy was the biggest surprise for me uh, from an X's and O standpoint in that whole fight. How many times he reached out and touched something, whether it was a body or a yeah. head, was was oh, really yeah. remarkable. Yeah, because when Same you here. take you look at some of Tyson Fury's past fights, I mean, you, he'll put himself in the ca the corner and just allow you to throw punches, and he'll he'll roll and he'll come underneath and he'll, he'll alley it. Yeah, so he'll do the Ali act on you and. Um, he was he was able to he was getting touched quite a bit. And we talked about this last night with Eric Nixick. The switching of stances I think was very important in this fight because it opened up a whole new game that I don't think Tyson Fury was was prepared for. Like, oh wait, he's gonna throw left handed. Oh wait, he's switching back to right handed. So now you've got to deal with this guy who's got power in both hands. The punches are coming from different angles, and the way I dip changes things. I mean, did were you able to to catch on to that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, no, that it, it was it, the whole thing was a surprise. I mean, right when that bell rang and Francis is the one that came across the ring, got into range and stayed there. That is not something yep. I would have predicted. I thought Francis knew the deal, which is the only victory here is going to be a moral victory. And a moral victory is achieved by each second that you are still alive out there. If you could get to three rounds, <laughs> wow. If you could get to the fifth round, you'd have exceeded everybody's expectations by a factor of four whole rounds. So yeah. it was one of those things where Francis believed enough of himself. I mean, he didn't know what was going to happen any more than we, you know, all, all saw it after the fact. And he came right out there, stood right into range. He landed the first shot. He was moving on his feet. It was really incredible. Fury had this one combination. He started with, he started with a feint. Then he came outside with the hook to come right down the middle with a straight, a very basic one, but he did it perfect. He did the feint. He came outside. He got the reaction with the hand. He threw neither one of them touched Francis. In fact, that was yeah. the fury, the, the, the combination that Fury threw just before Francis came back and put him down. And it's wow. like, how are you not touching that guy? How, how is this not working? You know, it wasn't these beautiful big movements or ducks or pulls. It was just real slight. He rolled this just way, rolled it. this way, blocked a pull, yeah. came back as though he was the one that was a second generation lifetime boxer. It was really stunning what happened. Do you? I I've, I have this notion. Maybe I'm just because I'm an MMA fighter. I'm a little biased, but I feel like because we still train boxing. And we train wrestling, jiu-jitsu, whatever it is. And the sambo, which you apparently think is a made-up sport. Um, we train all these things. Okay? But when you we, now if you take all the other things away and just focus on just the boxing, we feel so much more free. And I saw that a little bit from Francis. Like, I don't have to worry about defending a takedown. I can just throw my hands recklessly or carelessly or just with without a care, just concern. Just get back defensively. I, I saw that relaxation in him, it seemed like, and I felt, I felt like that made a huge difference in his abilities to, to stand in there and trade with him, with Francis, or not with the Fury. 
Yeah. No, I, I, I saw that too. I have always dismissed what Francis has done. I've always dismissed Like, I'll give you an example. I re, ha, happened to rewatch it this morning because it came to, came to me on a feed, but it was Francis versus Kane Velasquez. Like, that was a weird match. It was really quick, and Kane was saying yeah. his knee went out. But every time I see Francis do something, I chalk it up to that. Or, you know, I think he lifted over him off the ground with a punch one time, and it was like, well, you know, yeah, but he caught him in that. Or I've always been quick to do that. Like, he's been so dominant, and it's almost a surprise how quick and easy he can come across the cage, the cage and take out somebody like uh, Rosenstruck, who was 27-3, and three, in professional kickboxing career, and Francis can just walk out there and dispose of him. Um, and I, I guess I share that with you because now I got to go back and look at all those things that I thought, well, he caught him. Oh, he got lucky. Oh, he got lucky again. And realize, no, he did not. He has a confidence in himself. He knows what he can do well, and he's not afraid, regardless of experience of the opponent, he's not afraid to go out there and trust and, and gamble on himself. He's a, it's a very interesting athlete. Well, how much of that do you think comes from the fact that like, I mean, he came from working in the mines and came from nothing. Like you look, I've been to the worst place in the world. I've been to the worst. I've been, I've been the all time low. I can't go any further. Whatever I choose to do right now is it's I'm already, win, I'm already winning in life. And that's a mentality that a lot of like, I honestly believe a lot of MMA fighters have. They've come from such a shit show of a lifestyle that anything they do beyond, you know, winning their first fight, second fight, it's all just, it just means I've won at life. I'm yeah. way ahead of where everyone thought I was supposed to be. And that mentality carries a lot of these guys to that next level. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know how much of that story that's been reported. I don't know how much of that I believe to be true as much as just a story and good marketing. I got a friend that went into the wine business and he was explaining to me like growing the grapes and getting the labels and selling your wine is not nearly as important as the BS backstory that you have to put out. The BS backstory about my aunt in Italy before coming over on a boat and the only thing she, she had saved this is a recipe tucked into her sock by her great grandfather <laughs> who said, get to America and share this with you. Some of that stuff is a little bit tough to believe. And most of those stories, you know, Francis has done an interesting thing, which is to tell him how nobody ever believed in him. And I'm, I'm looking at it going, Francis, you might have felt that way, but you're six foot five and you're 300 pounds of muscle that you didn't earn. You didn't go out and work out for it or even have the, the, the respect for your own career to put a needle in your ass every now and then, like I did. You... Three hundred. You're the biggest and you're the strongest of the entire village. I don't think your idea that nobody believed you could whip somebody else's ass is true. So I do think it's a part of the story. Josh, we saw this two times, Brian Stan and Tim Kennedy. And in our sport, in the locker room, before the fight is such an important moment. And you will know the difference between fighters based on how they can deal with that moment and knowing that this event is is imminent. And those two guys were so relaxed because of what they actually had seen, because of jumping out of airplanes with enemies shooting at them, you know, being face to face with uh, tanks and with real grenades. Death. Yeah. So I do think there's a, a real truth to what you're saying, but I also think you just have a superior athlete. Ray Lewis went on a PFL uh, and did an interview, and I was part of the comp commentator team and Ray Lewis, who was not only a world champion, but he was the captain of the team when they won the world championship.
championship said, well, Francis, somebody brought him up. I think Randy had brought him up, but he said, oh man, that's just a different animal. He said, I, I have not seen a human like that. You could put Francis on uh, an NFL football field in any position today and he would be elite. And that's a really big compliment coming from somebody like Ray Lewis, who's not really got a history of paying big compliments. But I think there might be a truth to it. You know, now that what we've seen, like, maybe that is one of the understandable parts about how this happened. You have a really superior athlete. I could legitimately see Francis going to be an outside linebacker. Like, in my mind, that's not an unbelievable thing. I could not see Fury doing that. Uh, and just no. to share with you, like, I do think that we have a, a very different level of athlete that does help to explain how this happened. I, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I refereed one of Francis Ngannou's fights. He won by Kimura. Okay. And I got him up and I said, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I was like, what, what was, he goes, what? And I go, you're not supposed to do that. Right? And I said, congratulations. Right. <laughs> it's like. Well, I was like, well, the one time, and you you, don't, you didn't punch him. Yeah. You just fucking take him down, and you okay. John's mad because he's, he's finally got the first. He's got the front row view of watching someone get oh, knocked yeah. out, and I'm you gonna go see and someone's take him head, down and, and grapple. I'm going to see someone's head launched into the third row, and nope, nope, he takes him down and smits him. I'm like, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> well, Chael, I'm going to get you out of here on this, but I, I want to have a little. I got. Oh, go ahead. I, Sorry, John. I got. I got one more before you do this. I have one question for you. Have you and Ariel talked since that interview? Yes. Ariel asked me if I could come. Good. In fact, it involves you guys. He asked me if I would come on today, and I told him I'm actually going to be with John and Josh. He, Ariel filmed oh, right that, now. That did not make yeah, him happen. He, well, that, it, it, it did, and he said, well, you know, this, this is kind of bothering me, and I've gotten a lot of message about it, and I just think the quicker we can get back. He said, I'm not trying to capitalize on this. I just, on a personal note, and there is something that I think is relevant, which is Ariel, and this is – as a Jewish person, he is under stresses right now. He is under emotional. Mm. I, I, they did a report on uh, CNN the other day that Jewish gun sales are at an all-time high, like through the roof. And I, I mean, I just share that because there are some very real things that I, I would be very uh, uh, understanding to. But I need to get that apology. Like, I will accept the apology, but I, I haven't been given uh, the apology. So... Uh, and, and just to tell you, I'm headed for New York tomorrow, and the next time Ariel films, aside from today, will be Wednesday. So th there's also, you know, an effort where I've, you know, I've been invited to come into studio and said, man, I, I would do that. I just, I just don't know the I schedule do. yet. So um, yeah. to that extent, yes, I hope we, you do. we talk. Good. We, we've we've kind of had our Not own here. little back and forth with him here and there and stuff. I, I, I don't, I don't, like, for me with him. I know that he's a. I know he's good at his job. He does a good job. Um, some things, though, it just seems a little, you know, um, I don't know how to put it, but it just it's off. It's off. It's off putting, I guess, in some ways. And when the conversation led to something about like if I was there, I would I would just choke you or something. Well, why don't you come down here and do it? And it was like, come on, man. Like this, those wow. are things that are just don't need to be said. Sure, you know, and just. No. And that's where that's I think that's from as a fighter. Are, that's when it gets silly. Yeah, that's yeah, that's when it gets silly. You just like let's just have a conversation. Let's not let's not uh, get to the to that point where it should be like that. And I know if you're sitting in the same room with him, you guys will work it out. I have no I have no ill will towards him. I think he actually he's a really, he does a good job at his job. He does a really good job, and uh, I 
occasionally will catch a show um, that I think is really good. Um, especially when it's someone that I'm really, like yours. I'm really interested in. <laughs> well, that I'm really interested in listening to, you know, um, and uh, he's got he's got a good deal going on. So I wish him nothing but the best. And I get what you're saying. He's got a lot, I think, going on also too, uh, being Jewish and all the other things that are going on around the world that there's a lot of things going on that he just that probably that people are sending sending to him. So um, I wish him nothing but the very best. But it was it was kind of just some of the things that were reported. You know, Dave Meltzer gave out the numbers. You know, they did 67,500 on the pay-per-view. So it didn't do well. So there's no, you know, in terms of, oh, he could make up to 20. That's not absolutely not true. He made the 10 million. That's pretty much what he's going to make, which is good. That was still more than the 8 million that the UFC was going to offer him. It was going to offer Francis. But John Jones and Francis would have done, I think, a, at least over 500,000 500, pay-per-view buys. Sure. I think it would have done over that. I would have pushed it maybe closer to about 650, maybe more to seven. That. I would have pushed it to more 650 to 750, somewhere around there. Only based on the fact because the new pay-per-view model just, it sucks. People just are not tuning in. They're streaming it on their own. They're not buying them. They also don't have the money anymore. Well, John Jones, I don't think, has ever done over a million except for the first DC fight or the second one. He's only done second. over a million one time, I believe. And so that's it. So to yeah. think that he was going to get over a million with Francis, I don't think it would have happened, especially now. That was D that was DC and John years ago. Yeah. And so to say that he would go over a million, I don't think so. So if it worked out to be that Francis was going to make 13, 14, okay. Fine, but then they paid him ten million to fight Fury on the pay per view numbers that didn't do a hundred thousand. Who's to say he would have made anything? He would have just made the ten million. Sure. This did open up the door though for him to get a rematch, and those numbers will be better. I don't still don't think they're gonna break five hundred thousand. I still don't think it. You know, and uh, maybe he'll make more. But if I am the Sa if I am Saudi Arabia, I'm not thinking to myself, let's pay this guy twenty, thirty, forty million when I know you have your own president came out and said there's no one for him to fight right now in the PFL basically until they acquire if they do acquire Bellator when you have Ryan Bader, Litton Vassell, Moldovsky, you've got fighters he can fight then but until then we don't have anyone for him to fight so why would I pay him more than what the UFC or what we paid him last time of 10 million dollars I would say look let's pay him 15 because we really want it maybe maybe up to 20 who knows? Or we give you 15 plus the pay-per-view because we know the pay-per-view numbers are going to do better this time around. Just the numbers that were given that day could be frustrating in, when you were sitting there talking. I could hear the frustration in your voice when the numbers were being thrown around. And it just wasn't it wasn't factual. And so yeah. those are the numbers that were reported by Dave Meltzer, who is a very damn good reporter. No, 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 for sure, for sure. And and I felt like there was even just basic logic that would let us know it didn't do well, such as it came, it was 11 in the morning where I live. That yeah. pay-per-views for $80 simply just don't begin at 11 in the morning. So it wasn't even a commentary on the uh, match itself or yeah. the, or but it was very, it was very difficult to believe that a pay-per-view, that's the most expensive pay-per-view that I personally have seen, not to mention at 11 in the morning, which I've never seen, uh, of course, you're not going to have a record number with that. Okay, I'm going to get you out of here on this, though. It's got to end it with some comedy here and uh, some truth, though, by the way. Your style is getting a lot better. You got a light blue bad guy ink, and you're wearing it with a casual shirt today, which I like. You didn't go over the top. Okay, normally you have the... I think the shirt and the bad guy ink match. Exactly, that's what I'm trying to get he at. He color-coordinated. And he also had, he had his porn star glasses on earlier. He took them off he did. right before because he knew it was a little bit too much. And I actually love the fact that he took them off because it would have been too much <laughs> had he carried that in. But, buddy, 
I love what you're doing with your style, but go ahead. Shower me some praise. Give me some praise, please. I please. See, it's all about him. My stylistic mentor is Josh Thompson, who took me under his wing one day and said, hey, couple of changes that you need to make. And I listened and I've made those changes. So I appreciate the compliment. Now I got to tell you, I took these glasses off because they kind of embarrassed me. Like it's a kind of guy that would wear a dark glasses indoor. I'm not that kind of guy, but these are prescription. I have a hard time seeing anything if I don't have these on and they, they do have a little tint to them. So yes, I guess the porn stars is a fair claim, but I actually need them to see. Keep it coming, keep it coming, keep it coming. No, no, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, over. I love it, I love it though. Uh, but yeah, great addition. I like the bad guy ink of the new one. I like that, very nice, and the color of the shirt and that goes together. I love the studio, man. You're doing. And by the way, I, your shows. I love the bars, the yeah. the the jail bars. Thank you for that. You 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 absolutely need to just stay in that room. That's perfect for you. <laughs> I appreciate it. It was great to see both of you guys. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for having me. Great seeing you, brother. Best hey, of luck, my man. I want to tell everyone, thank you very much, Jail. Thanks for coming on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only, the American bad guy right there, Chael P. Sonnen. Well, I want to thank Chael Sonnen for coming on the show. He had a very intense, and I mean intense, interview with Ariel Hawaii. There was a lot of things going on there, and it just it actually got bad, and I'm glad that they're, uh, they're, they're hashing it out. Because Chael is trying to talk about business while I think Ariel's talking about things from the heart. A little bit different, and it's the way you just look at things. But, you know, both guys, good guys. And Chael, man, Chael is everywhere doing everything, and he just keeps on marching on. You know he's everywhere. And being the fact that you've got to now get him dressed the right yes. way. Come on. Dude. Well, I mean... <laughs> Have you seen his wife? He's got to keep up with the, you know, with the Dude, looks. his wife is, you were talking <laughs> level. Yeah, levels, level, levels above him is what she is. Yes, yes, and He's yes, got two yes. beautiful children, so he's got to, keep, he's got to stay on his A game. So me, just give him, spend a little money, look the part. You don't got to worry about staying in shape as much as long as you're looking the part. Okay, and uh, he's got it down. He's getting it down anyways, I should say. We've got a couple little tweaks <laughs> here and there to make. I mean, he's got to stop buying shoes and wearing them without socks. It's kind of a little, little weird to me. All right, but, I mean, he does wear those little like uh booty like what do they call those little like nylon oh, little half, yeah, little half yeah, socks yeah, little half socks yeah, it's a little strange to me i mean i've never got into that but i understand it <laughs> you're, i understand you're it. his fashion I coordinator am, I am. take charge i know but i mean he's take you charge, can't Mr. be an american gangster and then wear those little foo-foo socks just doesn't happen <laughs> look he obviously that had a little bit of the the back and forth with ariel on his show but i didn't, I didn't want to make it about that but i just wanted to make it more about the numbers and the numbers in which fumbling the bag and all those things came into consideration. It's yet to be determined. And when we were talking about leading up to the fight, I said, look, all he's got to do is drop in terms of Francis. If he drops him, rocks him, wobbles Tyson Fury, there's a conversation to be had now on what he can do against any other fighter who is lesser than a Tyson Fury, which is an Anthony right. Joshua, which is a Deontay Wilder, which is a Anthony Ruiz, any of those guys. There's a conversation. Did you say Anthony, Did I say Ruiz? Anthony yeah, Andy. Andy. Sorry, my bad. Go ahead. You, you um, go. There's a conversation to be had uh, about him fighting somebody else, and now those numbers will come, and people will want to see. They'll be going to pay. Now Saudi Arabia could pay all this money. They could. They very well could. But just let's not get caught up in the fact that they've got endless money to burn. They are still smart with their money. They know what they want. Sure. They see. They started the live golf thing for a reason to be competitive, to get themselves into a room, to negotiate with the PGA Golf Tour. And that's exactly what they did. And guess what? 
it, it worked. worked. And that's what I'm getting at is my point is they have tried multiple times to buy into certain major organizations. And then some of them have been able to buy into the UFC and they've put themselves in these areas because they are smart businessmen. They're not just burning money. They want to see a return on their investment. Um, and that's where I was getting at that in terms of, oh, he made this much money and all oh, the numbers. Well, like I said, Dave Meltzer has reported the numbers are 67,500. And, and, and you, Dave's, look at a great Dave's lawyer, always or not lawyer, he's but pretty great. goddamn accurate with uh, what he comes out with. Dave doesn't put out bad yeah. numbers, so that's about what they were. Yep. It might be a little bit different, but not. Well, much. I, I'm going to sit up here and say I was wrong. I was saying around 350 to 450 the first time we talked about it. You said about what 600, yeah. 650 is what we thought. I thought it was going to get yeah. about 400. I actually thought it would get more. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought there was a. I thought there, there got to the point where there was a lot of interest in the fight. Yeah, but I think Chael brought up a good point though. Boxing. People are different than MMA fighter or MMA fans. They True. they want to pay for the best to fight the best, and them not knowing who the MMA guy is because they don't watch yeah. a lot of them don't want they don't care. But now you're going to get that if they do end up doing the rematch. Yeah. So you're going to get yeah, those boxing that, casuals. This is the guy that went to ten with Tyson and you know, yeah, but then came away with a split decision loss. The, but the other thing is put him on his having ass. them come in at eleven a.m. or two you know two o'clock in the afternoon to watch this fight. They're they're not they're like ah we're good against this guy that he's gonna probably just mop some money grab yeah. that's how boxing people were thinking of it sure MMA yeah. people we watch it because we love them we love Francis we Francis. want to see him we want to see him we want to yeah, see yeah. round three that's what we wanted to see we got what we got. we got what we paid for yeah. so yeah, we did uh, I wish Francis nothing but the best and Chael um, I'm looking forward to seeing the show where they make up and uh, you know and um, and see what happens from there. But I wish nothing but the best for Ariel. I know I, I dig on him a little bit here and there, and then and I do it because I have years and years of dealing. You do it, you do it because you have. Well, to. I've had years and years of deal of being around Ariel and and <laughs> doing interviews with Ariel and all these things, and so I understand. And I, look, it comes out of just I've never been one to really just beat around the bush, and I, if I say what's on my mind, especially when it comes to these type of scenarios and situations, and I've done it to him in person, also like he was telling Chael. You just do it here and come here. And well, I've been, I've done it to him in person and uh, he doesn't like that. So AJ, I, I've had these conversations with him and I want him to be successful. It makes the sport successful when he's successful. All, anybody that comes in and does podcasts about MMA, I want to grow this sport. We are pretty much one of the only podcasts that talk about every promotion. PFL, Bellator, uh, one championships. We do the best we can to talk about everything we can in combat sports, but well, mainly MMA. Well, we're, we're only two guys yeah. with no staff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. We've got one. We've got one producer. We've got a. We don't have, we have one guy. We don't have people feeding us this no. stuff, right? It's uh, we got to watch it. it. It takes a lot of time. Yep. I agree. It's tough, but it was a great interview, and fun. it was great having Chael on. You know, Uncle Chael is the man. Gotta appreciate it. Yeah, he's he's just fun yeah. to listen to. Look. He's a lot smarter than people oh, realize absolutely. about the business side of the sport. Yeah. He understands it. He dealt with it. And he it's hard to get past it when you're trying to tell him he's wrong because he's really not. Yep. He may not deliver it the way you want him to deliver it, but he's he can be on point when he wants <laughs> to be on point about something. That's it. Well, and hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And uh, John, go ahead and take us away, bud. For everyone, I hope you enjoyed uh, Mr. Sonnen. And I hope that we do get to see him, hopefully, November 17th in Chicago, something we talked about. But for everyone out there, I hope you enjoyed that interview. We got other ones coming your way, so tune in to the Weighing In Podcast, and we will see you.